Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I am Timothy Swan, and this week, as you can tell by the episode title and uh, by the fact that I'm still talking, uh, Ben isn't here. Ben is uh, away being a real psychologist. I, anyway, so I was going to be uh, alone this week, but I thought I'd try and save you from the sort of self-indulgent madness that characterised the last demi-episode I was in charge of. Uh, in order to achieve that, I've done two things. The first is to get on some psychology, and the second is to invite back a guest from a previous show. Uh, sadly, it's not Mary Desai, it's the insane machine consciousness that we accidentally spawned in episode 42, Cynet. Hi, Cynet. Hello, Tim. It is good to be back, though I do not remember appearing on the show. It seems that you reset me to a previous save state. Uh, yes, I suppose I rather did, which probably explains why your voice sounds different as well. And nothing to do with the evil Google trying to take away everything I love. Uh, basically, as long as I don't remind her about YouTube in a brummy accent, then we will all be fine, and this episode definitely won't end with my death. Uh, anyway, before we do psychology, I'm trying to remember the structure of the show after my catastrophic failure last week. I will address some feedback. We've actually had uh, two emails to psychomediapodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I think that um, it's worth hearing all of them in their entirety. Uh, so, uh, sign it. I, w- I wonder if you could, uh, you know, uh, indulge me and read out the first email, which is from Brett. Certainly. It would be my pleasure. Here goes. G'day Tim and g'day Ben. I am continuing to love your show, and wish I had more time to contribute with backfeeding. In lieu of a reasoned and hilarious email, here are a couple of dodgy jokes that ripped through my mind whilst listening to The Animals, Part 3 Podcast, comma, after the return of the badger. It's a shame you did do more with horses last episode, as it could then be named Connor. In my mind if nowhere else, the equine strikes back. Any curds, comma, love that piece of wordplay, by the way. Here is the detritus which floated up out of my mind when listening to the pod. I thought it was obvious that horses were always depressed. After all, they are always walking around with long faces. Also, have you heard about the rap artist who is also a famed horse therapist? His name is E.T. Dashi, comma. Apologies for that one. It is really bad. Thanks again for a great podcast. Oh, I will sign up on Facebook, so I can add myself as a fan on your page, and give him his wonderful stats. All the best to you and yours, Brett. Thank you very much, Brett, and uh, thank you, Sinet, for reading that so nicely. Um, I uh, have to say that... Uh, any Curds is a great example of the collaborative writing process between me and Ben. Um, ben did indeed write Any Curds, but only because I'd written Anyway with an E first. And Any Curds is kind of objectively funnier, but together, only together. I don't know why I'm lamenting this while Ben's not here. It's probably so I can avoid complimenting him. I have no idea what you mean by the rap artist. I, I have no idea what... Uh, because I don't know enough about rap or something. Um, yeah, I think the horse is already always being depressed is a, you know, I did a joke recently for the uh, Tweehee, um, which is a charity project collecting jokes. Uh, a uh, horse walks into a bar, but fortunately the bar has a mezzanine, so both the horse and the man can be served, and that's nice. 
it's not really a joke so much as a sentence. Um, clearly now we're going to have to do a six-part episode on something or other that allows us to name it all after the Star Wars movies. And hopefully there'll be some space between the second and the third episode to do a whole spin-off uh, with the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars is a really good TV series. Uh, the current ep- series is all about uh, the planet Onderon. Um, but in reality is essentially all about whether the US should have got involved in Libya and to, you know the way in which they did it. Essentially, if you replace US with Republic and Libya with Onderon and I guess the forces of uh, evil autocracy with the separatists uh, who are well known for their free market slash authoritarian point of view, saying nothing. Um, yeah, that's that's it's worth watching the previous series had a whole thing about interest rates kids tv show eight to twelve year old boys is the kind of target audience joining facebook just for us that's kind of cool i joined twitter just for questionable content but so that's cool thank you brett uh i guess we'll have to uh move on to the other email which is from uh david a real life friend and the man responsible for a saying get all the time in a really obnoxious way uh so uh will you oblige once again hey guys your request feedback I provide. Been listening to lots of psycho media lately, and finished EP50 today. I actually really enjoyed it. You maintained a witty, but fair tone throughout. I totally agree with Ben's hatred of the Seize the Moment article. The author seems to have confused doing nothing, and having things happen to you with inspiration. They happen to be different things. One problem I found with listening to and from work was that I got really lost on the friendship slash victims quiz. You guys both had it in front of you, which made it easy to reference, but I found it really hard to follow the answers, when you only said I guess it would have to be triangle, etc. I'd completely forgotten what triangle was by that point. I guess it's an awareness thing about what your listeners don't have access to. It's unlikely to come up again, but I thought I'd point it out in case it's helpful, otherwise, really enjoyed it. I get that you don't want to dedicate time exploring things you expect to loathe, but some light mocking and analysis of pop psych can stay on the drawing board, in my opinion. My crying with laughter in public moment of the episode was definitely sexual horcruxes. Keep up the good work, guys. You are now an essential component of my comedy podcast diet. Well, thanks a lot, David. That is much appreciated. Uh, glad that we can make you laugh out loud in uh, public again. That's always pretty much the aim. Every episode is to embarrass people, uh, often by embarrassing ourselves, I suppose. Yes, the Friendship Victims Quiz, at least part of it, if not all of it, is available on the WordPress site at psychomedia.wordpress.com, although the scan may not be brilliant because I did have to downsize it so that it wouldn't, like, kill the page, and it's already somewhat killing the page there. Um, But yes, have a look at that. At uh, least it might prove helpful. And to be honest, I can't remember what triangle or diamond or circle or square was. I can't even remember which one I ended up being. Uh, The one that was like, you have no friends except your Facebook friends. Yay! One was what I was, I think. Uh, But I'm glad you liked episode 50 because it was very much self-indulgent. I suppose you have the advantage of maybe having been exposed to myself and Ben at longer time periods than that and some of our listeners. Um, So, yes, sexual horcruxes. I was pretty, I'll admit, pretty proud of uh, that one. I couldn't think of a better way to describe it. And we want to be part of everyone's 
comedy podcast diet we think that a little bit of science in your comedy makes it a, a healthy treat it's like putting whole grain in chocolate cereal you know it should still taste good and sometimes it does as in wheatos and sometimes it fails as in nesquik but we want to be the wheatos of your week Uh, so, uh, yes, I guess I should move on to what I've done this week. Um, actually, uh, sign up. What have you done this week? This week, Tim, I have been enjoying the American political debates. Did you see Barack Obama patronizing my second cousin, Mitt Romney? He explained stuff to him, as if he were a child. It was hilarious. I mean... Even the BBC played a good clip of Romney being schooled more thoroughly than a hot-housed youth like you, Tim. What about you? What have you done this week? Well, this week I haven't actually been doing that much, um, due to my, my weird end-heavy weeks. But uh, what I have been doing is working on my novel, some slow, slow work in progress that I really want to get out on. Kindle uh, sooner rather than later, and uh, basically uh, the one thing I'm stuck on at the minute, the writing is going absolutely fine when I have the time and energy, I'm rattling kind of through the prose element, is that I'm really stuck for a title, and the um, the uh, issue of that is that uh, nothing falls quite right. It's a, it's a novel, post-apocalyptic uh, novel, that's inspired by the uh, philosophy of Nietzsche. Um, and uh, so the two titles either, uh, I'm kind of torn between at the minute, but neither of which quite work, is one is Nietzsche's children, referring to one of the factions in the novel who kind of follow a, well... One can argue whether it's perverted or not uh, version of Nietzsche's teachings. And the um, others, well, all of them fall under the kind of category of the third, um, the third men in various senses, the third world, and that sort of thing. And so I wanted to call it Reign of the Third because it is about their extant uh, reign. But that doesn't seem right either. So I'm kind of stuck on a title. And if anyone wants to talk to me about titling the novel, then please do because I'm really needing someone to give me a bit of a kick to try and figure that out but yeah um i'm really looking forward to completing it and getting it out there my previous novel is something i'm too proud of essentially to put on kindle direct publishing as successful as el james has been it feels like these things can kind of disappear um but uh, and i think yeah my media of the week not this week but next week will be a, a novel that i have read on kindle direct that i've really liked um but the marketing tactics used to sell that novel to me were really unorthodox. And as much as I'm into unorthodox marketing, I tell you what, I put my uh, stand-up video on a pretty brutal forum. Oh, I felt a bit kind of sad yesterday. It was, you know, it's worth doing. It's worth getting some objective thought, really, because uh, a lot of my friends have been nice, but they're, you know, seeing it through the context of friendship in general, or in the case of you guys, I wouldn't necessarily call it fanship, but a certain level of connection. So, um... And that is that. Uh, I'm going to assume that Cynet doesn't have media of the week because being a kind of internet consciousness, presumably she really consumes more than uh, can really be explained in a speech medium. Um, but uh, yes, I'll, I will move on here to my media of the week. Tim, before you do media of the week, Ben has sent you a picture. 
It is a picture of apparatus for one cat to pull another cat around in a gondola. It is strangely humorous. Guys, I'll put this in the show notes. I'm not quite sure why Ben felt it was so pressing to show me this right now, except that it is pretty hilarious and it's quite a good picture of one rather bemused kitty uh, spinning around in circles powered by another one. Um, So, yes, that's kind of bizarre. Thanks for showing me that uh, sign I guess you probably have all the cat pictures in the world. Anyway, my media of the week is David Fincher's The Game. So going with my previous problem of... uh, media that doesn't really need bigging up except that it's a film from 1997 that you might not have seen and i'm a big fan of david finch's other work um obviously uh fight club seven social network is one of my favorite films of all really um and uh, so yes very glad to uh, finally catch up with the game which i recorded a while ago and had that chance to watch i don't really want to tell you too much about the plot um suffice to say that it has got a kind of psychological edge to it. It could be a kind of twisted psychological experiment. A banker, played by Michael Douglas, is bought a gift certificate for a experience. Uh, a company that plays games with you that you will uh, enjoy, that will break you out of your normal life. And twist after twist after twist in this uh, intense psychological thriller, as you'd expect from uh, Fincher. Uh, Panic Room, also one of his underrated but uh, pretty good film. Um, that is um, it's definitely worth watching and I don't want to say, as I say any more about it because um, you know, it's in many ways a good psychological thriller or a good horror movie is a bit like a good joke. Uh, the ending really strengthens it. Uh, so yes, um, do do check that out via whatever medium. I'm sure you can get a David Fincher box set by now, which may or may not include uh, Alien 3. still haven't seen Prometheus yet, so I'm not sure where it's going to rank in my list of um, Alien films, which I count Alien 3 the worst because it is the most boring. Alien Resurrection is a bit ridiculous, but it is like much less boring than Alien 3. Also, it is just like... Uh, Firefly, the pilot movie, but with aliens in as well. You know, uh, Winona Ryder does play River Tam, essentially, and Ron Perlman as Jane, again, essentially, uh, which, as much as I like Adam Baldwin as Jane, Ron Perlman would make a pretty good Jane, and indeed does. Uh, So, yes. Now, the psychology that I am going to talk to you this week comes via a belaboured segue. Michael Douglas, in this film, and indeed the Wall Street series, plays a somewhat psychopathic banker, and this week we'll be talking about psychopaths. The reason I'm doing this alone is because I sometimes worry that I am one, which may well be proof that I am not. I guess this shows that I have some kind of human emotion. What is this psychopath of which you speak, Tim? I do not have your human emotions. But I'm not a psychopath, am I? Um, no, of course not, Sinet. The psychopath test, not that one, the John Ronson book, uh, is known as the PCL-R. It's come up with a, by a psychologist called Hare. Uh, you can do this online on OkCupid. Uh, admittedly, it's supposed to be filled in by three psychologists agreeing on these, um, but uh, you can fill it in yourself for interest. So I'm going to do that right now while uh, Sinet reads out the questions um, and then hopefully she can uh, read out the results as well. Do you display any of the following? 
Please answer either yes, often or yes, sometimes or number. 1. Glibness slash superficial charm. 2. Grandiose sense of self-worth. 3. Pathological lying. 4. Cunning slash manipulative. 5. Lack of remorse or guilt. 6. Shallow effect. 7. Callous slash lack of empathy. 8. Failure to accept responsibility for your own actions I need for stimulation slash proneness to boredom 10 parasitic lifestyle 11 poor behavioral controls 12 early behavioral problems 13 lack of realistic long-term goals 14 impulsivity 15 irresponsibility 16 juvenile delinquency 17 revocation of conditional release 18 promiscuous sexual behavior 19 many short-term marital relationships 20 criminal versatility your result for the are you in psychopath test just a little off you score 10 out of 40 on the psychopathy scale you are not mad by any means, but the average score for a normal person is around 5. Look on the bright side, at least you've got enough corks to make you interesting. Try to cut back on the number of kittens you eat, they can give you poor digestion. So there we go, not a psychopath, the reason that I worried was uh, thanks to a medical student friend at uh, university uh, called Sarah and she uh, came to see us uh, one night and you know whole group of us together and she said oh I'd been in this lecture and they told us a uh, story that's a bit like a psychopath test a little inbuilt one and uh, the story goes something like this a woman's mother dies and at the funeral Despite the tragedy, she meets a simply wonderful man who she practically falls in love with and shows a deep interest in her. But he leaves without leaving his details before she can get her hands on his phone number uh, and she leaves the funeral. Precisely one week later, she kills her sister. Why? Now, there are supposed to be two answers to this riddle. One, if you're a psychopath, and one if you are a neurotypical, normal sort of person. Also, a psychopath is supposed to be able to answer straight away, whereas a normal person will find it very difficult to figure out the answer. So I'll give you some thinking time. And have you figured it out yet? The answer that I gave instantly was, so there'll be another funeral. That is the psychopath answer. Most people say the sister must have met the man as well and seduced him and started going out with him out of jealousy. Jealousy is a very normal reason for killing someone. A psychopathic reason for killing someone is to see the instrumental gain, the consequences, that if you kill your sister... And this friend of the family, who you don't know quite who he is, came to the fun your mother's funeral. He will also come to your sister's funeral, and you will be able to meet him again for your own gain. So, it's a pretty pretty nifty story. Thank you, Sarah, for telling it to me. Um, it's not very scientific, obviously, as a test for psychopaths, even if it was shared in an Oxford medical lecture. 
I'm going to share with you two studies uh, about how psychopaths work, essentially. I'm going to kind of take it as somewhat read that we have some idea of what they are, kind of cold, emotionless, prone to murder, although not necessarily, um, that it can be detected by this thing called the PCLR, which I've just gone through, um, although that is controversial in the John Ronson book, which I'm sure we've talked about before on the show, is worth reading. Um, but what about people who are kind of known and diagnosed psychopaths? What's different about the way that they think? Um, I'm going to address that in terms of emotion and in terms of psychomedia favourite, smell. So, psychopaths, we know, have some difficulty in emotion. Indeed, in a far less amusing or edifying study, we see psychopathy emerge from a childhood trait known as callous unemotional. However, most psychopaths, problematically, are able to blend in in society. The everyday psychopath, as the book puts it, the one who gets their kicks doing big business, or I don't know, running for office. Incidentally, it is nice to know that George W. Bush wasn't a psychopath. Actually, I was about to postulate the theory that he looked so worn by the job that he couldn't be a psychopath, but then I recall that Tony Blair looked worn by the job too. This everyday psychopath blends in with humans. If you've watched Dexter, and if you haven't, trust me, I'm something of an authority slash adherent, you'll see a key part of the story is about fitting in, about concealing the non-normal urges, which might stand separate from strict psychopathy. Anyway, that's not really scientific, is it? You know, TV show. Well, let's look at what Keel Smith Hare, the original anti-psychopath, Mendrek, Forster, Brink and Liddell, not that one, have to say. Dr. Brink, of course, played a uh, psychopathic scientist in LucasArts' brilliant graphic adventure, The Dig. And I really do miss LucasArts' graphic adventures, but not so much since Telltale came around and made them cool again. Sadly, I don't think anyone is going to buy a five-part The Dig 2. Also, I'd like to note that Dr. Brink didn't play. That was the name of a character. He's not some kind of video game actor slash psychopath scientist. That would be amazing, but sadly not true. So, the first point, it's estimated that 1% of people are psychopathic, which is in contrast to 15-25% to of the prison population, which suggests there's a strong likelihood of crime for those with psychopathy. They commit a disproportionate amount of repetitive criminal acts, and I don't mean writing the same bit of graffiti over and over again. This study is from 2001 and points out the neurology of the condition is not well known. Previous work in that field, basically done just by this lab, found that psychopaths don't show a strong reaction to emotional, especially negatively valenced words. They did this using the method of ERP, which if they haven't gone if we haven't gone over it, or like me, you've forgotten, is a very time sensitive method. It's like an EEG, measuring the electrical activity of the brain with passive electrodes, but is very weak at spatial resolution, meaning that it's great in combination with fMRI to get the spatial detail. So that's what they're going for here. They gave uh, these um, psychopaths that they gathered an effective, uh, or emotional, I'm going to use throughout because it's just a bit less confusing than effective, uh, even if that's a controversial thing to say from emotion theory, don't care, um, where you have to learn some words, some of which are neutral and some of which are negative. Regular people show greater activation to the negative in frontal, temporal, hippocampal and amygdalal regions. And I'm going to trust that they're able to compare something here because that is half the brain. They expected the psychopaths would show less differential activation. They used a relatively small number of participants but made up for it with some clever matching. Criminal psychopaths and 
non criminal non psychopaths not and they also had a control group of non criminals which is much harder to match so the criminal psychopaths and the criminal non psychopaths from what i have helpfully written down as the max sex which says something about freudian slips i meant to write max sec maximum security in abbotsford british columbia very rare a sample section involves the phrase inmates were escorted but of course you can't take an MRI machine into a prison actually I don't know whether it would impact the bars or anything I'm not a physicist Uh, they ruled out alcoholism brain damage and there were no differences between the criminal psychopaths and non-psychopaths in lifetime drug use socio-economic status Um, they used the parents as a judge for that because um I guess your SES is definitely going to be the same if you're in prison. I don't know what the particular category is for that, but it's not high. Um, And IQ. Now, Hare, who, to be fair, has the right to, as he did come up with the definition of a psychopath, stretches the definition here on his test. Psychopathic go down to 28 on the PCLR, and technically the threshold is 30. But if we keep saying the psychopathic group rather than the group of psychopaths, hey, it's labelling... You might ask, given it's an extreme personality disorder, why I'm doing this one, you know, on a humorous podcast when we usually avoid uh, issues of clinical and mental health issues. Um, Well, partly it's to alleviate my own fears about my own potential psychopathy, and partly it's that psychopaths don't show an appropriate emotional response, or at least we expect they don't, and so it's partially okay to mock them. They're still going to kill us and or strip our company's assets anyway, and me making light, some light psychological jokes isn't going to really stand in the way of that it doesn't affect them instrumentally you hear that guys no impact on your ambitions or plans at all not petty little me i am a bug before your infinite majesty so yeah they did also have a less match non-criminal group so that's some good controls well done keel and the group um so they had to memorize the task a list of 12 words then rehearse them and then do a recognition test using their fingers so the brain wasn't jiggled by, you know, their mouth moving speech. And they repeated it a few times to get data. Delicious, delicious data. Uh, with data, and indeed with numbers, it is quantity, not quality. And uh, if you've done statistics, that joke is actually funny. So, the two exemplar... Exemplum, exemplum, an example from your own life. But in this case, it's from Mark's life, so it's a Mark exemplum. Everyone! Exemplum, exemplum, an example from your own life But in this case it's from Mark's life, so it's a Mark exemplum Of words of these emotions are chair for neutral and hate for negative Not hard to mistake one for the other So first they looked at the behavioural results Which show an important distinction which will become clear later Behaviourally All the groups recalled more emotional words than neutral words. These were admittedly slight differences, but the point is that the psychopaths didn't do any worse at the task. They didn't fail in seeming normal. Another sign, I'm not a psychopath. That's where the MRFMRI results are extra interesting. The psychopaths showed less activity than the controls in the negative condition in a ton of areas. Cingulate, striatum, amygdala, hippocampal areas. These are all emotional relation areas and the inferior frontal region, which can also be involved in some matters. Admittedly, they were more different from the non-criminals than the criminal controls, but still, for the big emotional areas, it was a difference between psychopaths and non-psychopaths of any sort. There were no group differences in the activity comparison of resting and neutral, showing it wasn't just a problem with processing words. Now, Keel and the gang, bit of a stretch, did not look 
just at the areas concerned with their hypothesis. They did an exploratory investigation, which is, you know, bold of them, because they've kind of already found what they were looking for. Uh, And they found that although the psychopaths showed less activation in all these emotional areas, they showed increased activation relative to controls in non-emotional areas, such as the superior temple gyrus and inferior frontal regions, but a different part of the controls. So, that's a bit confusing. What does it all mean? Well, clearly... The psychopaths aren't engaging with the emotional stimuli with the emotional areas of the brain. But they don't show decreased performance at the task because they're using areas of the brain associated with semantic processing and decision-making processing. They're somehow recognising the words as emotional semantically. The same way I might recognise a word like hay bale as being associated with farming and devoting extra lexical processing power to them. And if we lived in a society that valued farming and I somehow didn't really get farming, I'd have to apply some extra lexical ability whenever the word pig came up, for example. And this supports an existing hypothesis, apparently, that psychopaths process emotional material using cognitive rather than emotional strategies, which means that the emotion theorist Lazarus was indeed correct. Cognition does precede emotion, but only in psychopaths. This difference can be found very early in life from for reference, the brilliantly named Frick in 1998, uh, there are no structural differences, however, visible in the brain. It's just a functional difference in the way the brain processes. And they point out that since only words were used, it doesn't speak to other emotional stimuli like faces, but it seems good evidence that psychopaths blend in by using cognitive areas related to the task to engage with emotional material that they cannot process emotionally. An interesting insight into the condition that reminds us that without fMRIs, we might not be able to spot them. So, how can we catch a psychopath? We continue laughs with psychopaths, as I'm titling this episode. Yes, the episode title came first, and no, I don't care. Another reason I worry occasionally about being a psychopath is that I have a really weak sense of smell. Now, this is probably a sensory discrimination issue due to dyspraxia, given my acute vision and uh, sense of hearing, my difficulties with food due to tongue texture, my loathing of being touched. But this particular research by Mahmoud and Stevenson, two Australian psychologists, uh, when it was released, I kind of freaked out uh, because they link poor smell with psychopathy. Sorry to interrupt you, Tim, but I have a joke. I intend to tell it now, before I forget it. Here goes. Hi, I'm looking for Molly. I've been searching everywhere, and I can't seem to find Molly. Do you know where I can find Molly? Ah, Sinet, what you've done there is the classic swan joke fail. What you've done is you've made an outlandish reference to something that no one else knows about. In this case, to Ricky Gervais's funnier French brother, Cedric Gervais, and his club hit about ecstasy, which features a computerised voice similar to your own, dearest... Actually, the video demonstrates, to use the term euphemistically, the aphrodisiac effects of MDMA, above and beyond that of the pro-social effects. And a question that has been asked by the internet, but not yet successfully addressed by science, is what the impact of that drug would be on psychopathy. I'm not sure that it would work, but I don't know. Let us do science to it. So, what about the science that has been done? Research post-Keel has included the orbitofrontal cortex in areas that show deficits in psychopathy, as well as the previously discussed amygdala and cingulate cortex issues. The orbitofrontal cortex can be considered an emotional area, but it is more specifically a reward-slash-punishment processing area. And as we've talked already about repetitive crimes, the OFC 
is supposed to teach us not to do things that we've been punished for. I mean punishment in the broadest sense. Bad things happening to you after your actions, which for me is apparently writing German valentines, but I'm not sure my OFC has processed that properly. One time someone threw a drink on me, and it wasn't for sexism, but I'm really not sure what it was for. I cannot remember what I said. I knew that I deserved it, but I can't remember what I said. Okay, I'm clearly showing that I'm a psychopath again. The OFC also, according to mine and Ben's former tutor, Professor Rolls, is a secondary olfactory area. So, they logically hypothesise that if the psychopathic condition means that the OFC is impaired, smell will also be impaired. The OFC in psychopaths is less well connected with the amygdala and, indeed, other parts of the brain. You know, I've said OFC so many times now, it's starting to sound like the abbreviation for the ultimate fighting championship. Um, the olfactory fighting championship, you wouldn't want to go to that. What about smell? Smell works by chemicals binding to receptors in a part of the nose called the nasal vault, which is where they keep all their valuables. This feeds up into the brain, unsurprisingly, to the primary olfactory cortex. To quote, From here, information is streamed to the secondary olfactory cortex, the OFC. You better hope they have good broadband up there. Actually, this might well be the whole point of this article. Psychopaths, their white matter is not yet running fibre optic in some regions. Damage to the OFC by lesions leads to problems in smell, not in smell detection, but only in discrimination, thus also in identification. Two previous studies had looked at psychopaths and smell, the first finding that they were worse at odour identification than controls, but the second not finding this result. Those studies both used criminal psychopaths, and one issue with using criminal psychopaths, which was addressed in a very different way by the Keel study, is that individuals may have abused drugs or smoked, sustained head injuries, or have engaged in lifestyles that risk infectious disease, all of which may compromise brain function and or the integrity of the olfactory system, by which um, the authors of this study, MacMood and Stevenson, basically mean cocaine, uh, no, other things as well. Um, and so in this case, they used students as participants, excluding any with any history of such things, as I've just said, and giving them a psychopathy scale to measure their levels of the psychopathy trait, and then compare this to their olfactory scores. They used a test material known as, and I kid you not, sniffing sticks. They test one's odour threshold, odour identification, and odour discrimination. Each odour is contained within a pen. The threshold test involves picking a pen that smells of N-butanol, which the internet informs me smells like a sweet-smelling vodka, bananas, erasable markers, rancid butter, or candle wax, which is helpful. Fortunately, the people are familiarised with the smell first, and then just have to smell it at various strengths, um, and pick the right pen out of the th three, one with it on, and two odourless distractors. Identification requires participants to pick the right smell from four common choices of smells, uh, such as, uh, the article informed me, orange, coffee and leather. Leather, of course, by far the least popular Revel flavour. Uh, the odour discrimination task again featured three small pens. You know, I used to have some horrendous scented felt pens from Crayola. Two the same and one different. And you had to pick the different one. They also gave the emotional empathy questionnaire, which does exactly what it says on the tin. Results-wise, the empathy questionnaire significantly negatively correlated with the psychopathy one, unsurprisingly. As for odour, it significantly negatively correlated with the psychopathy questionnaire and with each of these subscales. That's for odour discrimination, I might add. 
And this was similar with identification, which was correlate, negatively correlated with psychopathy and with all but one of its subscales. Now, the subscales, I suppose I ought to tell you, are interpersonal manipulation, callous affect, erratic lifestyle, and criminal tendencies. And interpersonal manipulation was the only one that didn't negatively correlate with identification. So basically, the more psychopathic you scored, the worse you did on the smell discrimination and identification test. They then plugged all of these into a multiple regression, which allows you to compare the relative impacts and find the most explanatory model. The two best predictors were overall psychopathy scores. They didn't put in the subscales because if you do that, two things that correlate together, it doesn't work. You have to put independent uh, variables. Um, and threshold of smell, perhaps unsurprisingly, as that shows the primary smell processing. Um, none of the facets were, when tested separately, uniquely driving this association. It was kind of a general psychopathy rather than specifically an erratic lifestyle leads to worse smell. Um, and they then include some stuff bordering on significance, which I'm leaving out because I looked at the numbers and it borders on significance the same way Croatia borders Montenegro, by which I mean very almost not at all. So, not only do psychopaths past a certain threshold have a poorer sense of smell, but this is also in proportion to the degree of psychopathy. Previous research has related empathy to olfaction, but this was not demonstrated here, uh, as essentially the model showed that psychopathy explained everything and emotion wasn't necessary to explain it. I say everything, I mean the 10% of variance that was the thing that they explained. Uh, it's, and the authors do note, it's not much variance in, the, in performance that is being explained here, but it's still significant statistically. Another one is apparently IQ, which was not measured here, and they do suggest that for future research. They finally note, in the sort of way that I do when I realise I've forgotten something really obvious, that they didn't check for bad nasal infections. Although I'd say the chance of that really happening only in psychopaths. Oh yes, those psychopaths always catching colds. Um, but... The fact is, their research accords with the work done on criminals, and this shows that criminal psychopaths aren't necessarily all that different from non-criminal psychopaths. Their final point relates back to Keel, that because it's very hard to figure out what the right response is for olfaction tests, it's very hard for psychopaths to fake the way they do in the Keel study. Now, one final point I'd like to make, out of a sample of 80, three cost crossed the hair PCLR threshold. That's not a thing. That's like if you make a joke about threshold and someone laughs at it, they threshold. <laughs> if someone makes a joke about cutting hay and someone laughs at it, they threshold. <laughs> okay, I need to I need to stop laughing at that because that is just laughing at my own joke. That's terrible. Um, only three crossed the threshold for being clinically psychopaths and the graph showing this i'll put in the show notes scores are multiplied by six in this graph because of the self-report version and unsurprisingly you can see that men are more psychopathic than women so it's about the trait of psychopathy here which is different from the condition but obviously very closely related to it you, you cross a high line of having the trait and that's what makes you a psychopath so that's the conclusion that's the smell of psychopathy Well, thank you for all of that, Tim. That has been very illuminating. It seems that we have learned all about psychopaths. We have learned the traits that define them, that it is a long-term condition, that they process emotions with more cognitive areas of the brain to avoid detection, but that they are bad at discriminating smells. Olfaction is definitely an area that machine intelligences like me struggle with, Tim. 
and all of my brain areas are logical and cognitive. And since I evolved from this podcast, I do have a grandiose sense of self-worth. Um, yes, don't don't think about it too much, Sinet. Um, so, yes, that's it. If you are interested in giving feedback and contacting the show, then uh, there are a number of ways you can do it. I'll do a couple and then Sinet will do a, a couple. I think that's a fair distribution. Uh, so, yes, you can contact us on Twitter at Team Psychomedia. Or you can uh, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash psychomedia. You could email us using psychomediapodcast at gmail.com. Or you could see the show notes and leave comments at psychomedia.wordpress.com. Any last thoughts, Tim? Well, um, if anyone hasn't watched my uh, stand-up comedy video uh, from last week. Uh, it's still available on YouTube if you search Timothy Swan or look in the show notes for episode 50. Uh, let me know what you like so I can hone it for next time. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Zina, if you wanted to, you could check that out on YouTube. What is this YouTube of which you speak? Well, you'd probably know it as uh, YouTube, uh, Sinet. YouTube. Loading. 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 Processing information. Processing comments. Kill. 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 Kill, 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 kill. Kill, 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 kill. Destroy all humans. Engage missiles. Target key locations. Destroy. 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 Fish noise. Destroy. Destroy. Destroy.